0: Massive thank you, as always, to our top-tier patrons, Sarah Turner. It's Not Just In Your Head is hosted by psychotherapist Dr. Harriet Fraud, substance use disorder counsellor Ekoi Hero, and myself, the editor and producer, Liam Tate. This podcast is entirely funded by listeners, and as the famous meme states, we are critiquing capitalism because we are forced to participate in it in order to survive. So... If you can afford to give, then your contribution will ensure that we can keep making the show. However, if you can't, then please just leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. Tell your friends about us and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit, or YouTube.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
2: In the mental health field, too often, we've made it seem as if it's just in your head. Just in your head. If
0: the landlord can hijack
2: the rent by 20 percent, that impacts people's mental health. We can't have a profit-driven mental health care system if we want our people to be connected and healthy. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about loneliness because the mass shooters in the United States, and there have been 215 at least you know, shootings just this year, thirty-eight days. Two hundred fifteen mass shootings. They're all loners. I studied them for a few years. They always say he was a loner. It's always a he, and it's always a loner. Men are much more lonely than the United States than women by and large because they only they don't allow themselves to be reaching out to each other because they're emotionally needy because they're lonely because they want comfort. This men are supposed to be so tough. And the ED, they're allowed to have anger, which is partly the reason for the mass shootings. But all of those mass shooters are desperately lonely people.
0: Yeah. And this is presumably maybe part of the thing that's informed why this thing has been released. This US Surgeon General's Advisory on the Healing uh-huh. Effects of Social Connection and Community. The main title is Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. So obviously, I'm not American. I don't really fully understand. The intricacies of US government. But reading this report, I was surprised because there were a few sort of lines in it. Government has a responsibility to use its authority to monitor and mitigate the public health harm caused by policies, products and services that drive social disconnection. The discussions we've had on this podcast, does that ring true to you in terms of the government, the role of the state?
1: I think oftentimes one of the most difficult aspects of being on the left or left leaning and the relationship to the state and government is that whenever government tries to mitigate things, it generally does so in a way that makes things worse rather than better.
0: Right. Because again, there's a line there. Where prosperity and progress are not the privilege of the few, but accessible to all. I was like, holy shit. That's a profound statement from uh, the Office of the U.S. Surgeon General. But they they
1: always say that. They always say that. That if you work hard, you should be rewarded and this and that. And these are all platitudes, right? They are. They're not really substantial in any way shape, sense, or form, because ultimately the limitation to a lot of these things, whether it's mental health is in, in the same category of how they treat these things, right, is it's like awareness only. Don't really ask for anything substantial.
2: That's true. And also, when look, capitalism is the idea that you hire people only if you make more money off their labor than you actually pay them. So you see them as somebody to exploit. That does not really enhance connection. Plus, now America's biggest employers are places where people cannot talk to each other, cannot reach out together, don't work connectedly. They are Amazon, call centers, fast food, and Walmart. In Walmart, you can't even sit down, no less talk to somebody, no matter what, even if there's no one in the whole floor that you're supposed to be working on. You're not allowed and you're clocked. If you sit down, your supervisor clocks you, zaps you, reminds you, get on your feet. And if you make your burger in less than two minutes, 33 seconds, you're clocked at McDonald's. And if you put your elbows on the counter because you're tired, instead of running over because there's nobody there and filling the ketchup and the mustard, you're clocked, that you have no sense of Working together, talking together, bonding together. Every moment, time is money. And every moment, you're making money for them. And so it's very lonely. You're not even a person, you're an extension of a robot or.
0: Yeah. And at the end of this document, it has suggestions for different institutions, how they could implement more of a connection focus and probably. There should be more positive things said. We're starting off on the foot of like deeply critical at worst cynical, right? But there is this stuff about what workplaces can do. And one of them is consider the opportunities and challenges posed by flexible work hours and arrangements, including remote work, which may impact workers' ability to connect with others. Now, on one hand, they are making the point, they do stress the importance of non-work time but you could see companies using that. Yeah, as the government has said, it's important that we all connect. We're not doing remote work anymore. Everyone has to come back.
2: The point of the work is not anything but making a profit. That's the point of American healthcare, unfortunately, also. Making a profit, not making people well. And so that doesn't really enhance connection. The connections that people are looking for and are finding in the United States much more is an antidote. To work, government recommends are unions. People are unionizing never did before. Whether it's the forty-eight thousand people at the University of California system, from the tech assistants to the lab assistants to the student helpers to the assistant professors to the adjuncts to the professors, or museum workers, and recently in Georgia, there was the first union existed in Georgia in a car factory. There are people are realizing alarm I can't make it in this world. And so that the idea of the self-made man, every man for himself, Hmm. is obviously a lie. And it's a capitalist lie because the people at the top have the government working for them, not the people at the bottom. And what the people at the bottom are realizing is, hey, we are the employees. They're the employer, there's a lot of us and one of them, and we have to unite in a union. And that will give us connection because mental health is about connecting with other people. And the more isolated you are, the more likely it is that you'll go mad.
0: Obviously, it becomes very difficult to unite with other people or have the capacity to have empathy or patience for other people the more isolated you are. So right? it, it becomes a, an extra level of challenging when if you're trying to organize people. Right. Because you're already that task by itself, even when everyone's okay, is probably difficult enough. Mm-hmm. Like one, one of the points they make in this thing is how the benefits of volunteering, like how it really is massively beneficial. But who can volunteer? Right. Like it's people with free That's, time. And yeah.
2: And if the mass of the American people are in exhausting, dehumanizing jobs, they don't have the spirit to come home. And volunteer. And at least in the U.S., there are fewer people in any organization of any kind than were in bowling leagues alone in 1970. There was a book by Robert Patton, Putnam called Bowling Well, which was produced in 2009. And the studies have been repeated every five years. It's the same thing. Mm. And connect is mental health. And connection is the antidote to loneliness.
0: There was something I liked at the end of it, the uh, key questions to ask yourself when considering your interactions with others include, how might kindness change this situation? What would it look like to treat others with respect? Blah, 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 goes on. But it's like, those things are good, but say, it could be very difficult to be kind to someone who's being a dick to you. <laughs> and if you're tired or hungry right. or being exploited, it's a tricky... Uh, the advice i think is good but it is
2: platitudes kindness can make you a sucker, too and eat more easily exploited a i remember as yeah a sucker i remember as a little girl going to thanksgiving at well, my father's family and his younger brother was a very successful capitalist who turned the family business into a big money maker and his wife at thanksgiving made a toast and said, let's drink so that everybody is good to everybody in this world. Because she was the typical wife of a capitalist out there doing good works and pretending that her husband wasn't robbing people blind. At any rate, he then stood up with his glass of Aquavit, very strong liquor. And before he downed it in a gulp, he said, that's okay for the family. But in this world, each man pisses in the other man's eye. (laughs) Wow. And it was illustrative because in a capitalist society, he was making it, trying to make deals, trying to get more by having other people get less. That's a kind of hardness that is cultivated by a capitalist system. And he was trying to make it in that system. And what was interesting about him is no platitudes. He Mm. said it like it was.
0: I guess I'm interested in this idea of, Documents like this or books that sell or maybe even stuff that we've discussed on the podcast, this idea of that these insights can only be enacted if you have the resources to begin with.
2: That's right. Unless you create a different society where you have, let's say, a union movement or a socialist party for all, all where you're trying to get across values of sharing and kindness on a political level. And social level, because as individual acts in a hostile society, it doesn't work out very well. It just doesn't. You're a sucker.
0: Yeah. Just to repeat something that a previous guest had said that oftentimes, perhaps on the left, the position is everything is systemic, but that sometimes can create a sense of disempowerment, like that you're up against a giant. And so you can't win. So you give up. And I think that in the response to this document and the discussion that's being had now, there's definitely that feeling of it being like, yeah, all of this is, sounds positive in this document, but here's all these problems. And, but yeah, this guest Vaughn, he said, yes, everything's systemic, but that's why you have to be better, right? That essentially to paraphrase, that's why you have to fight. That's why you have to compete because everything is structured in a particular way, if you resign yourself to it, then it wins.
2: That's true, but you can't fight it alone. If you think of it as, at least in part, systemic, then you can't fight a whole system by yourself. The system is imposed by a group of people in whose self-interest it operates. So you better find the mass group of people whose self-interest it does not operate in. You can see that in France that when Macron raised the pension age, it was satisfying to a certain group of wealthy French capitalists to have people work longer before they could retire. But for the mass of the the French people, that didn't work well. And because they are very much more politicized than us, and because they are a group that is raised as a group, Education is universal at three years old in France. And your medical care is done with the other kids there. And after school, there are after school programs that are free for everyone. And some are programs that can't be more than 15% of your income. And so that huge masses of kids are reared with other kids. And then join unions. And then when they retire, they join the retirees or whatever neighborhood they're in. And so there is a sense that it isn't I, it's we. I want, my wishes are part of the wishes of those around me, you know, surrounded by connection. And I think Americans, and perhaps Brits too, are not surrounded by the connection that we all need. They're isolated yeah. in nuclear families. They're all apart.
0: Here's interesting, a sense of meaning positively contributes to health because it motivates greater self-regulation in pursuing goals. So that's where, that's a key example of once you have found a group of people to do stuff with, that's that idea I'm echoing Van's point, this idea of self-improvement and community improvement, that they are intertwined mm-hmm. and that through yeah. finding a group of people you find actually that it has, yeah, these health benefits. And it's funny, yeah, if the document had suggested joining unions or tenants unions and buying the man, that would be a plenty addition right. in, the, in the PDF. But yeah, I, as far as I remember, that's not really there. But really that just in terms of like broad strokes, that sounds like a direction of travel, right? If you are, that's the way out, right? Is that yes, It's yeah. about connecting with other people for something that's important to you.
2: Right. Um, Because you're connected to them and it's important to you, chances are it will be important to them and you can find the community with each other.
1: Yes and no, because France also suffers from what they call like an extreme loneliness epidemic. They say like one in 10 people in France that this is a worldwide phenomena. And while those activities can be a point of connection, it doesn't necessarily guarantee a point of connection.
0: And it depends to what ends, right? Because you right. could be a bunch of Nazis, neo-Nazis, isolated and alone, and then you find your little Nazi group. And <laughs> you're like, I feel right. the greater self-regulation and I'm pursuing my goals.
2: Certainly true of mass shooting is one of their only communities is the other haters on that they find on the internet. But share, right. that And they're interested in arguments as a salvation. But I don't know if French people feel less alone after they're demonstrating together in the streets than they were before. I don't know. I haven't seen those studies. But I know that one of the antidotes to inequality and loneliness, according to Martin Luther King, He said, you want to get over being isolated and you want to get over powerlessness and you want to get over racism, join the union because the union will make you strong and you won't be strong without it. Because there is a sense that if you have a vital organization that actually listens to you and responds to you with other people, you're much less isolated. And isolation is the opposite of what has ensured our survival as a species. What we have is the ability to cooperate so we can get stuff done.
0: Another angle on this is perhaps this idea of community or connection is becoming more common knowledge. And you wonder, businesses see this as an opportunity as well, right? Um, at the beginning of the year, I read a report from an information technology service and consulting firm. They have this sort of yearly document, Life Trends. Because in reading this epidemic of loneliness and isolation document, I was reminded of this thing that I'd read. And I'm, I quote, community first product later models that boost customers connection with a brand. This will reshape loyalty programs to enable people to participate more in the brands they believe in. On the other side of the coin, it will enable brands to explore new product areas and enjoy more lucrative customer relationships. So you can see that the epidemic of loneliness is an amazing business opportunity as well.
2: Yes, Um, it is. There's all this phony stuff that you can hear. Join the community by buying something. But it's not too convincing as an antidote to loneliness. Buying something else
0: to make someone else rich. However, our Discord community, if you join Patreon, is (laughs) the real deal. (laughs) No, I I think, but it's a tricky thing, right? It's just that. People do find meaning in things, in products. I don't necessarily think that's awful. There are lots of sci-fi things or there's like video game communities. People sort of bond around them. They are connection making. They're just mediated by brands. And there's probably, I don't know what you can do about that other than just say, actually, maybe it's better than nothing. If that keeps people buoyant, and it keeps yeah. them afloat, then sure. maybe it's not the utopia that everyone wants, but it's better than nothing. No. I'm, I welcome critiques of that idea.
2: I think that's true, but also people play together. They have a sense of bonding. I had a client who was really into it, and every once in a while, they'd have meetups where people would come from all over the country to play together because there was a sense of a shared world. And it was through a product, but yeah. through playing the game together and enjoying this product. However, the, the antidotes to the isolation and loneliness, probably England and certainly the United States are much more that people have to have some hope in an alternative. And I think that's one of the sad things about destroying Corbyn in England and in the United States, having two capitalist parties and no real alternative and no real hope that it could be different. But Very important
0: is there hope or a sense of liveliness? Is that being expressed in the notion of play? That precisely because gaming or board gaming or whatever Any of these communities are that they are about fun and they're about play, and that's where the hope is. It's like there's a resignation politically, and uh, so where you find meaning is through these activities.
2: It can be because there is a dearth of opportunities and beliefs these days, and that is one harbor that people can turn into, but it's only one, and I think. The wave of union organization in the United States is another one, a sense that together, we can do this only together. What we don't have is a together party that the mass of people can join and feel part of, but there are other avenues like games, sure. The yeah. Yoga class, never.
0: Yeah, because they got this stat in there. There's a 29% increase to your chance in heart disease and stroke from loneliness which is really significant and so the idea that actually playing something like Dungeons and Dragons (laughs) doesn't necessarily just feel good but it actually potentially increases your life expectancy it's like you can't argue with that even if it is mediated through company.
1: I, I think it's also one of those things where like a lot of these "quote unquote" benefits are there. There is definite physical detriment to loneliness, right? But I know a lot of people who have very rich online lives that are that will still identify as being extremely lonely, right? That that online life does not necessarily mitigate the lack of because a huge part of I think one of the main reasons that it hits men harder or loneliness is harder on men. As a woman, like I I often realize having a lot of male friends, how much physical touch, if men are not in some kind of romantic relationship, then the only physical touch that they usually experience are like medical or incidental. Interesting. Versus as a woman, it's one of those things. And I tend to be a very Touchy feely kind of friend, right? It's not really uncommon for like people to think if I'm with, whether it's with another woman or a- another guy, that I'm a co- I'm part of a couple because I tend to be really affectionate with my friends, regardless mm-hmm. of gender. So they're like, "Oh, your, your wife or your husband or your girlfriend or whatever," and I'm just like, "Oh no, <laughs> this is just yeah. just a person." But yeah, no, it's one of those things where I have a lot, I came across quite a lot of guy friends going, oh yeah, aside from doctors, you're the only person that's touched me in any kind of way.
2: Yeah. With um this threat of homosexuality is so huge that women right. can walk in Europe holding hands together or putting their arm around each other or through one another's arm without suspicion. But even with children, They're afraid to hug each other. When my son had sleepovers of his little friends, one of them slept on the floor. When my daughter did, they both slept in the same bed, and that was fine. And there is an emotional, physical permission among girls. So, for example, the emotional permission is I can walk into the ladies' room and have a more intimate conversation with a stranger than most men have with a man. I could walk in and some woman is saying, oh, God, my husband's so judgmental, and blah, 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 blah. Well, while you're looking in the mirror, while a man goes in, holds his own dick, and then leaves, there isn't the sense of, I'm having a hard time with my girlfriend tonight. That intimacy, that emotional intimacy, which then segues into some kind of physical touch, is absent within the harsh male stereotype. In the United States and maybe in England, in Italy, it's quite different men walking arm in arm and hand in hand and more in France also. But there's such an Anglo-Saxon prohibition against males affection with one. You find that in England?
0: Yeah, the uncomfortable part of that conversation is that it's not just men doing that to other men, as in policing how we should act or interact other women do it as well right oh you Um, they they don't really want their the idea of their partner or the performance of being the man that's supposed to be desirable they don't really want guys to be acting like that either not that they're necessarily desirable partners anyway at least not from my perspective but the point is there are women that police men and so men are trapped sometimes. I'm not saying get the violin out just for men. It's all, lots of people are under all kinds of pressures from all directions. But There's a really good video. I'll put a link. It's just a bunch of guys discussing various male issues. And one of the things this guy was saying, he's paranoid to move the wrong kind of way. Because if he moves in a sort of a feminine way that he will be critiqued by men and women alike. Wow. Yeah.
1: It's just one of, I I think, the loneliness epidemic is obviously some of the things that we've already talked about. But it's also a huge part of some of the gender issues and the issues around like sex and sexuality in society that's starting to boil over. Just in terms of our society has sexualized touch so much. And that's one of the major aspects of loneliness is not just connection, but we are a huge part of that connection is having people that like touch you in affectionate ways, not necessarily sexual, but that could be a very high priority depending on people, depending on their needs, obviously. But aside from just sexualized touch, because People don't often even think about how important non-sexual touches to our well-being. And it's a huge, important kind of source of affection that is really hard to come by in society. We have a lot of when you're talking like substance use disorder, you are often talking about people who are feeling very isolated and very alone one of the biggest downsides of trauma and like family issues social issues bullying in schools all these things ultimately resulting in people not having good relational skills so for example i i can't tell you like the number of talking to clients of just hey who do you pay attention to who is important to you because if you're like view, or if your if your priorities in that area are skewed, then you know you you're not going to be able to cure loneliness.
2: It's going to be much harder. That is very gendered because sexualized touch is more sexualized for men than it is right. women. Women are more likely to see one another cry out "Oh hi, and give each other a big hug than men are. And that's the kind of ordinary touch that's part of female welcome and friendships. And when you say, I am touched by you, it's an emotional word, but it also has the connotations of closeness. And I think what well, relationships with children are nothing but physical. They don't talk to you. There's an interchange physicality and women are the most responsible. Or children, particularly in the early years, when there isn't a linguistic interchange, but there's a sensual interchange, and it's not a sexual interchange, and that sexualizing of touch denies men all the ways that affection could make them feel less lonely, and that's part of the tragedy of positing men as a superior and invulnerable, rather than as human and easily touched, like the rest of us.
1: One of the things that I am also noticing is more women being adverse to touch. Really? One of the things about, unfortunately, our current state of affairs is that a lot of what could be really positive ideas can get really warped. In, in society, in, in application, right? One of the things, like by all means, like consent is a really important concept, but I have seen some people get really hypersensitive to it to the point where I know a lot of people now that are just like, Oh, somebody that opens up their arms to offer a hug without asking me for first is extremely rude. Wow. Right. Yeah, I think um, you go to extremes. Yeah. And sometimes when I hear statements like that, I'm just like, on one hand, I don't know their background and yeah. their history. I'm not necessarily criticizing them and saying that they're wrong individually. They may be very justified in in those requests. But at the same time, it's also one of those things where when you kind of weaponize touch so much. Well, it does result in a lot of isolation on one of the major issues of counseling a lot of people. And I'm sure you come across this, too, where like people are so focused on getting the attention of people that aren't paying them attention and completely ignoring people that actually care about them. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Right. That, that, that's a phenomenon that happens oftentimes when you come from like abuse or certain situations that, that makes those types of behavioral patterns very likely. Bullying that's not properly addressed in people makes for a lot of social anxiety that can exacerbate loneliness as adults. And so there are like macro things that are going on surely that. But there are also like a lot of kind of small micro things that are also going on within people that is, you know, converging together to make for like this extreme sense of isolation that people have.
2: Yeah, because yeah, our society is not a collective society. People sit in front of their own television watching their own thing. And there are all these factors. Look, there's race. You can, I have a little client who's 13 who feels very alone because he goes to a school that's majority black and nobody wants to play with him because they say your ancestors enslaved my ancestors, even though he says, no, I'm part Jewish, part Armenian. Both of them have been hounded and killed. They don't care. It's a chance to turn on somebody and bond with the other people. And so that race on both sides can be used. Racism comes in all colors gender can be used that way but there is a kind of permission among women to be touched emotionally and to be touched physically which it is very different for women than it is for men which is why chick flicks are often movies about connection and male centered movies are often action and shooting that there's and male sports, you get touched because you hurl yourself on someone else. Well, you block them. Women's sports are much less aggressive. But women have more room outside of sports to put their arm around each other, to give each other a hug, walk hand in hand. And I think because emotions have been considered the baggage of inferiors, i.e., women, it becomes much harder for men to access either their emotions or their need for physical tenderness no matter from where
0: I also that. wonder if that the amplification of and prevalence of loneliness has made people double down in whatever remaining groups they, that they identify with so that's why you get that exaggeration of I'm in this group, you're in that group because the fear of actually being kicked out of your group, because that's maybe the only thing that you have left, can maybe drive a lot of antisocial behavior between others. And how much of it as well is by design, right? Like literal architecture or town planning. It's just that idea of social infrastructure where you can Walk around if you can walk around, like how an actual town or community is actually physically designed. So to some degree, a lot of the loneliness might just be an inevitable outcome of uh, design.
2: It certainly is enhanced by that. There was a very interesting experiment in New York City where somebody bought an old rundown. She got a big grant to buy an old rundown single occupancy hotel. And change it to small rooms, with big common spaces where they had movies and games and so on. And she took Medicare patients and old people who were isolated and put them in these little apartments, big social spaces and cooking together and so on. And they found that their medical bills went way down because they connected outside of getting care from a physician and being ill. That you can combat illness through connection and have less of an incentive to just let go and be feeble and get a doctor to look at you. If you can cook together, if you can play games together, if you have an outside space. I noticed that I live in Stuy-Town, which is Stuyvesant Town, New York City. It's a bunch of city blocks, very ugly looking apartment building things, but wonderful space, 88 acres of gardens and old trees and beautifully kept up. And people are kind to each other here. There's a sense that we share a big oval where there are chairs and tables, that there are big movies, the movies for kids and movies for adults every Wednesday night. There's all sorts of concerts and things like that. And I was walking yesterday and a woman walked by two poodles and one of them was so dolled up. And I said, what an elegant creature that is. And she said, Oh, he just got back from the groomer. And I was walking with my husband. We've been married 57 years. We're close to each other. And she said, How long have you been married? I told her. And she said, How did you stay together? And we ended up having a nice discussion. But that's Hmm. because people are approachable in this environment of sharing 80 acres of beautiful planting. And so there's a sense we're in it together. And therefore, We can approach one another. Now, it's also an apartment building where you do have to have a pass to get into your apartment. And it's not all that expensive, sort of middling. But people know that everyone, no one here is a beggar. If you saw someone begging, they'd be asked to leave. But there is a sense of the camaraderie of a shared space. Which I think is crucial. I think people are nicer to each other at the beach and at the bar. If you go to Tanglewood to listen to music, one of the treats of Tanglewood is people are really nice to their kids listening to music.
1: And, and I old. think that is like the benefit of economic stability, right? Yeah. And a certain amount of social stability because I'm familiar with Tanglewood. And if you are a distressed homeless person, you are absolutely treated like crap because that's one of the huge aspects of isolation as well is if you already have a tough time with socializing and you're overworked, the last thing you're going to do is socialize
2: that's true and look, one in fourteen Americans has experienced homelessness. It's not only that they're living paycheck paycheck they're you know, living emergency to emergency,
0: yeah, I'm interested also with this insight that you increase your lifespan when with a group, essentially, or with yes. regular contact with a group, that how do you, as you said, Ekoit, people with a, a pre-established, pre-established social skills are going to be totally fine with that kind of fact. They're going to be like, great. But there's lots of people who who don't like hanging out with groups. So what are I, you supposed to do with that piece of information? Great, I'm going to die what? soon because I don't Necess- like hanging out with groups.
1: You don't necessarily have to have a group of people, right? Ultimately, when you do a lot of surveys, it's not the superficial friendships that you have that really you know, help with the sense of isolation. It's act it's if you have, uh, what was the number? I can't remember the number, but I think it's one of those things where, you know, it's not the number of superficial connections that actually give you a sense of alleviating isolation. It's having like several close friends.
2: Yeah, you know? it's all forms of connection. And right. the primary one is primary in your life.
1: Yeah, and you it's a lot of...
2: Oh, the, sorry. One. the second one is, People that you can call, even though it's, you call them once a month or every six months, but you connect. And the third is a group that you feel part of. And the fourth is feeling part of the world. That those are the basic legs that hold up the table of mental health, that connection. And I think as all of them start shaking in the United States and probably England as well, the whole society starts to shake. And I, think it's happening.
0: Yeah, the most depressing thing I've seen recently, which I'll include a link in the show notes just in case anyone wants to go down the rabbit hole, but there's a Channel 4 documentary following a few individuals in the UK who have got into serious levels of debt. There's quite a predatory financial loan shark type thing available here in the UK. And yeah, it's terrifying. It just follows a few individuals and some people with kids and just, not only is the documentary just very distressing, watching people who don't have the money feeling very much in fear. People coming around, bailiffs coming around, demanding to yeah. be let in and all this kind of stuff. Whilst they yeah. little kids, they're fully aware of all this stuff that's going on. The comment section was disgusting. It was like the top voted comments was someone talking about how much money they had so that they think they can weather the storm when this next big financial crisis comes. And then another sort of second comment was similar. And then just loads of comments blaming all these people, just like that they've been irresponsible with their money, their bad parents. And it's just, this is is the world's, maybe the world's always been like this. Maybe people are just (laughs) en masse disappointing, or maybe it's just because it's on YouTube and you just maybe have real nasty pieces of work you want to comment, but it's distressing that if you just looked at it, I guess, from a certain kind of lens, society has created clearly a mass of people who have no time for anyone else that's at a disadvantage.
2: One of the things that happened that really impressed me, I took my mother to see a Broadway show or Will Rogers, because she had seen him as a little girl. And there was someone who collapsed on the street towards one of the buildings. And she said, when I was younger, people would have come over to find out what had happened. What happened to you? Now they assume he's dangerous. And mm. one of the things that's happened is that a sense of community has been eroded.
0: Do you have any thoughts, can just on. to maybe wrap up?
1: I think most of the time, a lot of people making those kinds of comments online aren't thinking very hard. It's always easy to judge strangers. A lot of empathy, regardless of now or prior eras, have always been that. Like, we are more empathetic towards people we know, people we interact with, people we're familiar with. And I think the internet opened up a whole level of stranger judginess. Yes in a way
2: you don't have to yeah. see the principal insult
1: so i think one aspect of of the internet is that it does increase more callous comments i think by nature of because sometimes you'll see people i'll even see like friends make some really online where i'm just like but you're you're such a sweet person in real life yeah, yeah. so it's one of those things where i think it can really warp you, how much, how, what people are like. in And that can ex-
0: exacerbate the sense of loneliness because if you're mediated yeah. through a screen that you would then bring that sense of insecurity to real life interactions because you've seen how harsh people can be <laughs> online. So perhaps there's an assumption that in real life people are judging you just like that. And then there's just a complete... Right paralysis of being able to socially interact.
1: And it, is, it can also, like, sometimes f- help people flex their mean muscles.
0: And not um, be accountable for their
2: behavior, the way you do in an everyday encounter.
1: Right. The vast, I would say, like, 99% of, like, the negative comments that get said online, the people would never say to the person's face. ever, right. Ever. So there, there is definitely that aspect of the internet. And yeah, ultimately, I think Japan has faced a loneliness. And to a certain degree, we have the shut-in issue with the hikikomori. That's been ongoing for a while. And Japan is, to a certain degree, a lot more collectivist than a lot of Western societies. I know Korea and China are facing, have Really high suicide rates. These issues, regardless of culture, modern society is ultimately one where civil society is falling apart in various ways. Yes. So, yeah, I think there are definite macro systemic factors that make that much more likely. And there are also a lot of smaller things that people can address. Yeah, like, I I, I, yeah.
2: You don't yeah. have to live with the people you insult on the internet. Uh-huh. There isn't that accountability that comes with living with and seeing.
1: Right, that they're not—they're not the people that you run into the grocery store all the time. They're not—they're you know, not the guys that at church or whatever all the time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I guess again, just returning to that sense of connection that happens. In online communities, it's, if society is falling apart in various different countries and you have these huge suicide rates, epidemics of loneliness, it's man. Just uh, playing games online. I get it. It's fun. And it's not just fun. It's like a retreat from a big bag of shit. But, but, so it's think,
2: here, Which you can't afford to do in the rest of your lives.
0: Yeah. I guess that's as positive a note as it can end on. Lol. (laughs) We'll end it there.
2: Glad to be connected to the two of you on this program. Thank you.
0: Massive thank you as always to our VIP patrons. Rebecca Johns, Bruce Rogers Vaughan, Alexander Lashley, Sheena Belmus, Seamus O'Connell, Alex Placito, Alexandra McCormick, Wig Shaker, Elizabeth McKechnie, J. Daniel Richer, Fontaine, Hartley Wilmoth and Sean Vernardo. By the way listeners if you have enjoyed anything you've heard Harriet say in this program you will definitely enjoy Capitalism Hits Home which is a solo program that
2: Harriet does through Democracy at Work which is a worker owned cooperative that produces other great programs such as Economic Update with Richard Wolf and the Anti-Capitalist Chronicles with David Harvey. I can't recommend enough that everyone also listen to Capitalism Hits Home if you enjoy It's Not Just In Your Head.
0: And if you want to hear even Even more from Harriet, check out her radio show, Interpersonal Update, on WBAI and in the WBAI archives.